Happy Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 253 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. So before we dive in, I had no shows last week because COVID came back for me again. And this time it actually triggered my asthma. So if you see me clearing my throat a bit, it's because I'm still on the tail lingering effects of that. Other than that, I would do my best to be my usual peppy self. So today we're going to be talking about how to face the pain that you are hiding from. So doing this many episodes, and we're talking all about storytelling, and every episode hits hard. And why? Because we're all unique. We all go through things in a unique way and bring a unique perspective to how we overcome the things that we've overcome. And the big takeaway I want you to get from this is that your story is strong, your story is powerful, and there's somebody out there right now that's hanging on by a thread that needs to hear your story like only you can tell it. So if you're joining me over on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, share the video. If you're joining me on either of my Facebook pages, please like and share. And if you're brand new, I challenge you to stay to the end. If you have questions, use the comment section to ask questions, and we will get to those questions. If you're joining me on the audio only, please subscribe, download, like, share, all that good stuff. And I appreciate your support. So for those of us up here in cold weather land, Wait, did I delete it? Oh, no, I didn't. Okay, in cold weather land, we have hoodies available. If you want to support the show, shutupandgrindgear.com. Okay, that's shutupandgrindgear.com. I have all kinds of apparel on there, not just hoodies. Appreciate the support. Now, let's get into this, all right? So how to face the pain that you are hiding from. Helping me have that conversation, I'm bringing in Angela Lee. Welcome. Thank you. And where, where were you joining me from again? Taos, New Mexico. New Mexico. Are you originally from there? No, I'm originally from Northern California. Okay. And I did live in England for a year where I got that line back there. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. So so, um, go ahead. Yeah. It's kind of like um, I I grew up, I was born in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco in 1964 so i was there for the summer of love but i was three Uh. years old (laughs) (laughs) but hey damn it you were there it's all that matters i was there (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's dive in let's get to know you a little bit better so how would how would you describe yourself or even better yet how would your best friend describe you um i think i would yeah i would be described as compassionate um loving calm and um generous yeah generous <laughs> and all of those traits definitely speak to what it is that that you do for her living now but we'll we'll get there <laughs> we'll, we'll get there in a bit so as you know the show's all about overcoming coming obstacles in so your childhood was a little little tough as i as i was reading through your bio and stuff so take me through what, what that was like You know, the funny part is that I, when I, like five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have told you that, you know, my childhood was fine because I had repressed so much of what happened. And I, the net net result was that I ended up judging people who were angry because my father was basically a raging alcoholic um you know he had he had nice times but his rage and the alcoholism uh, were really the 
the overarching energy <laughs> that we experienced. Okay. So what brought that that on? Like, did he himself go through something that he was turning to, to alcohol to suppress the feelings? You know, I had never considered that until my aunt, his sister, said to me, um, and it was just an offhand comment, but this totally blew my world up because <laughs> what she said was, Jimmy was such a sensitive child. Okay. And my in my mind, my dad was a monster. Yes. The monster that lived in my house. <laughs> and um to to consider how his father, because my father was born in 1925, so um, in the, those times, being a sensitive boy was very frowned upon. And um, so his father really tried to repress and basically beat out of him this very sensitive, very heart-based um, part of him. And so he learned to reject that part of himself. And, but he also walked away and I've never talked to him about this. He died a long time ago. Um, but I just kind of have this sense that he walked away with no self-worth, with the feelings of failure, that I'm never gonna be good enough for my father. And I believe that he started drinking to drown those feelings because they were those feelings that he could not face. But his behavior when drunk perpetuated those feelings <laughs> because he, he didn't meet the mark of being a father or a husband. And so he was a, basically a failure in those two areas and that was like a self-feeding dynamic that just, you know, he'd drink more to forget those parts. And then he'd behave in ways that caused us to hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not funny. It was just the way you said it. Yeah. So, so you think, so he was turning, he was turning to alcohol to numb the pain, but yep. with alcohol being a stimulant, it, it, stirred up the other the other parts that, that he was feeling in there as well, basically, is what you're saying? Yeah. What, what happened is that his behavior, his rage while he was drunk, caused others to see him as a failure. Gotcha. And so it was just, you know, stretching out that whole string and, and making the behavior more. Okay. And, and how did that personally affect you? Well, um, you know, I've talked to, I've, I've had energy healing and I've had all kinds of alternative healing and I have no memory of this, but I've had people, energy healers tell me that I was raped as a child mm -hmm. and like I told you earlier, I had repressed so many of the memories. Um, I can't tell you, I don't have a memory of it, so I can't tell you if that's true, but 
there was that energy. And I know that, that my, my almost my whole life, I was in victim energy because I started off as the victim of my father and then got married to a man (laughs) who had a terrible childhood (laughs) and became his victim of emotional abuse. So Let, let me just ask you on that. Do you feel that happened because that was your normal? Yes. I, I believe it's not only that was the normal, but that my self-worth was so low that I didn't believe I deserved any better than that. Mm. And how did you navigate those feelings? Well, I would say for the first 30 years of that marriage, I was totally in denial of those feelings. Okay. And, um, you know, pretty much asleep to what I, what, excuse me, what was going on. I was, um, I wanted to be happy. And I took all kinds of online courses like uh, UC Berkeley, the science of happiness course, Mm -hmm. so that I could figure out ways to be happy. (coughs) But when you're the recipient of rage and blame, it's hard to be happy. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. And I, I mean, didn't have COVID. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hit, hit me like a ton of bricks out of nowhere last week. I, I don't even know where it where it could have come from. But but anyways, let's stay on, on path here. <laughs> All right. So you're in this you're in this marriage. You said 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when did you like I, I hate using the word awaken, but when did you awaken? That this was something you had to seize control of. Um, so in October of 2017, there was a wildfire in Northern California. And um, that wildfire destroyed the wine country of California. Basically, it, it destroyed 5,000 homes. And one of those homes was ours. Oh, wow. So, I actually yeah. remember that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was, yeah. a, it I was, was in a Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I was in Las Vegas that year and you could see the haze from the, the fires in, in California. Yeah. yeah. I remember that vividly. It was yeah, pretty the the sky was brown for two weeks after the fire. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so your house burned down and take take me from there. Yeah. So um that kind of pulls the rug out from under you and you you're like what step do I take next? I don't even know. And um, basically, I went into a dark night of the soul. And I started asking myself some really intense, deep questions. Like, is this the life you want to live for the rest of your life? Because you've already, you know, stayed this long. If you're going to stay committed and stay in this marriage, this is what you're going to experience for the rest of your life. There's not going to be any changes. And I think what had kept me in the marriage for so long was the perpetual hope that there could be growth and um, changes. Okay. 
So you said you had to ask yourself some really deep questions. And I think that's, that's a powerful, powerful sentence because it's very easy to do this. And when people have things that have hurt them or just situations that may not be necessarily serving them, it's very easy to point the finger. And I'm guilty of this, of this myself. I've been through situations in the past where it's like, why are they doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? And then yep. finally someone put it to me bluntly, like this is happening because of you. You know, and, I, and, and, I, and at first, and at first, I was offended. You know, I was very offended. Like, what are you talking about? I get, I get up every day. I didn't do I'm this. I didn't ask for this. Yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm here with the kids, and I'm at all the after school things, and I'm this, and I'm that, and and then it's like, you know what? But what can, what can I do better? And then you actually just start writing stuff out, and it's like, oh my god, like I have quite a lot I could work on. Yeah. <clears throat> and and really, there's a lot of power in instead of pointing the finger at someone else, because when you point the finger at someone else, you're giving away your power. You're putting yes. them in power. Very true. When you instead say, okay, this happened, they did that, but I was responsive to it. I had a reaction. Yep. By taking responsibility, for your own reaction, you step out of victimhood. Yes. When you're pointing the finger, you're keeping yourself in victimhood. And so um, I'd, like to get, I'd like to get your definition of victimhood because some people get so triggered by that word. Yeah. Um, victimhood. It, there's a lot of depth to that word. And um on the surface, when I say victim, what I believe is that there is a, an energetic triangle of victim, persecutor, and rescuer. And a lot of people don't conceive of rescuer as part of victim energy, but it is. Yep. Because when you see someone as needing your help, you're taking their power away and you're saying they are the victim and they need me to go in and help them. Now, a lot of people get really triggered when I talk about this because, because they'll say, well, you know, if a father is abusing a child in a grocery store or in the parking lot of a grocery store, I can't not go in there and stop that. And from my experience, from my life experience, um, whenever I intervened as a mother, when I believed my husband was getting um, too overbearing with my kids, he would double down. He would, he would then be overbearing to me and my kids all at the same time. And it would like double the energy of the situation. And that taught me that, you know, sometimes when we intervene, that might stop the situation in that moment. But what happens when they get home? Or what happens when they're alone? And so, um, you know, what I teach in my children's books is to send love 
energy to both sides, to to the person who's being injured and the person who's doing it. Yes. Because both sides need that love. They need to feel that they are love in order to stop what stop mm-hmm. the situation. Yeah, it's true. It's like I've done a couple couple episodes on that. And what people oh my what's the life feed? Say so what people get so mad at when you use that word victim, they take it as like a personal attack. It's like if you get if you get assaulted, yes, in that moment you are a victim. Now there's no right or wrong amount of time to heal. Like that I understand. But if you're talking, you're years down the line and you're still living in that in that pain, that's yeah. what I consider playing playing the victim. It's like, okay, this happened, you experienced it, but now how are you gonna move forward from it? Like if you don't have a clear plan to move forward, then you're stuck playing the victim. Yep. Yes. And it's very disempowering to be the victim. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's really about owning your reactions. So when you're emotionally triggered by something someone does or said, then often that is um, corresponding to something that happened to you a long time ago, maybe when you were a child. And there's unresolved emotions about the the first incident when you were a child mm-hmm. because none of us were taught how to deal with our emotions in childhood. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we did the best we could and we followed the example of those around us. Yes. Let, let me interject real quick. And things today are so different. Like I, I had a talk with uh, my oldest daughter. This was a few, few months ago and she just unloaded some stuff from, you know, like a decade ago. And it was good for her to, to get that stuff off of her chest. But like, I, I mean, I'm 48 and like, we weren't raised to feel like we were raised. to I know. Do. You know, it was like, my dad was a, was a Marine, you know, and he was, he was awesome. He was awesome with us, but like, that was just his stance, you know, especially for us boys. It's like, we, we just didn't show emotion. If there was a problem, you know, he would taught us to just tackle the problem. And like, basically if you're in fire, put out the fire as quickly as possible. And that's what we were raised. So we fast forward now, a couple of decades later, everything is about feelings and validation and everything. <laughs> and, and again, and I'm not knocking that. Like I'm just not equipped for that. <laughs> and also, well, like, when, yeah. when, kid, and- when the kids come to me with a problem, like I just want to solve their problem and get them happy again. But it's like learning to step back and just listen, take, take it in, understand why they're feeling what they're feeling. But it's definitely a learning curve. And I appreciate that that you're taking that because yeah, it's foreign to you, but you're you're recognizing that this is something that she needs yes. you to you to do, and that's that's like the mark of a great parent because <laughs> recognizing the child's needs and desires and wants um, is very important. So. And as far as, um, you know, this, this society has really kind of said, you know, men, you're not supposed, don't cry, don't feel, don't cry, don't feel. Mm. And that has been drummed in from childhood. And the men that 
were the role models didn't show their feelings and they um you know it was like like you said marines or but even non-marine it was like not okay to feel and i mentioned when we first met that i had lived in england for a year and I was doing a guided meditation to help connect people to their inner child. And I asked them to remember a time when they were young doing something that they really enjoyed. Maybe it was basketball. Maybe it was riding the bike. Just remember this time and feel the feeling of that freedom or of, you know, the joy that you felt. Yes. And one of the, one of the adults said, I don't know how to feel. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, it's keep calm and carry on here, isn't it? You you know what does it for for me? I mean, my my kids are getting older now, so we don't do the the playground as much. But like on the rare occasions that we go, sitting on the swings. Ah, I sit there. I get I instantly go back like. 30 plus years <laughs> like you just start there's just something so calming about it i don't yeah. even know i don't know if it goes back to infancy with your mom rocking you i don't know what oh, it is it but just but that motion is just so relaxing <laughs> <laughs> and i'm so glad you brought that up i have a swing in my own backyard so that i can oh, nice and i i go outside and i swing every day so <laughs> Nice. See, the other thing I do too is is I love I love nature. It's like I grew up in a very rural area, so there was a lot of woods. There was always trails, trails and stuff back there. And even now, if I hit if I hit a moment of stress, you know, because I'm human like everyone else, but I live right by one of the state parks here in Rhode Island, and I just put on my headphones, put on either some podcasts, you know, some videos. Sometimes I listen to my own show, shows again, and I just go go for a walk. And you just take a second and just appreciate the little things. It's like, oh, look at the colors on that bird. It's like, look at how nice looking that, that tree looks. So look at the reflection in the water. And just those little things like bring me right back in the center balance. And then I'm able to come back and tackle, you know, whatever is at the source of the stress. But I think, you know, that's, what, that's why I named this, how to face the pain that, that you're hiding from. It's easier to hide from the pain than face the pain. So you decided to take everything that you've gone through and put it into children's books. So how did how did you decide yeah. to take that course of action? <laughs> I just, I had this story that just was like pouring out of me and um, it just started writing. And I realized maybe six months into writing that the lessons that I learned in my life were being incorporated into the story. And, um, you know, one of the things that you said was that it's easier to escape the pain than face it. And I will challenge that until the day I die because it's actually the repression or rejection of a feeling is what builds up into a mountain of pain that people develop. Because every time they reject or repress, that energy of the feeling stays with them. And so it becomes this just heavy load that they're carrying around. Yes. And they think that they've escaped it, but as soon as something happens and they're emotionally triggered, 
that whole mountain comes popping out and and it doesn't necessarily match the event yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why I always say your true power lies in your story. I'm saying in the minds, in the minds of the people going through the pain, it's easier to drink a bottle of wine in their mind than to relive whatever it is that hurt them again. But I agree with you 100%. And when I help people navigate their stories, I always say it's like the more you tell it, the easier it gets. You know, the more yes. you heal from it, the more... You, you start to accept what happened and then you start to figure out the teachable moments, the things that, that you can pluck out of your experience to where you can now help other people with it. But just initially they fear feeling that pain again. And the thing is, if people truly knew that an emotion like the biochemistry of an emotion is 90 to 120 seconds, mm. And it is our minds that keep us entangled in the feeling and make it last longer. Yep. So one of the biggest tools I teach is deceptively simple and it is very powerful because what it does is give focused attention on your feeling. So the technique is called feel, name, allow. That's it. You feel the feeling and you notice where it is in your body, how intense is it. You just pay attention to the feeling and then you name it. So you're acknowledging, hey, I'm feeling this way. And then you allow. Give yourself permission to feel it. When you follow that path, the feeling will be gone in about 90 seconds. But people spend so much time pushing this feeling away, they have no idea that they could just go through it very quickly. Yeah. The, the codicil to that is that when your mind returns to the unfairness or the circumstances or what happened, it'll bring up the feelings again. And so you have to practice that method time and again. And over time, it will begin to diminish because you're not storing the energy of that feeling. You're releasing it. I like that. I tell people that in the weight loss game too, because people always say, I want to lose weight. So no, no, I'm like, what can be lost can be found. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, we're letting that go, you know, but, but when it comes to grief and overcoming trauma and obstacles, I always say those feelings, they don't go away. It's like you, you manage them. Like, take this guy, this is my dad, you know? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I keep them near me, you know, I keep, I keep right. pictures of them, a picture of them in my car, you know, like every father's day, I do a video montage of them. And there are days where I'm like, God, I wish I could just hear his voice again, you know? And it's just like you said, you take take the moment, you feel the moment, and then you're able to move on. But but just by acting like, yeah, everything is fine, everything is fine. No, there were days where I just wanted to hug the dude again. <laughs> you know, yeah. it is what it is. And you know, there's other things, other things that I've been to. Like I went through a messy divorce years years ago. And you know, when you're in the midst of the fire, all you can see is all the bad stuff. Yes. But just, just now that so much time has gone through, and I've told the story so many times, like there's so many 
teachable moments in there from picking up the pieces, living with the stereotype of a, of a single father. And, you know, there's just so many, so many pieces of, of the puzzle in there that are just relatable in everyday life. But had I had I just suppressed all that stuff out of fear of judgment and ridicule and everything else, then I wouldn't be able to get on these different platforms and help people navigate the messes that they go through. And exactly. like that's exactly what you're doing. You're taking the messes you went through and showing people how to navigate their mess. <laughs> and and really, because I write these books and they're aimed at kids eight to twelve, it's like okay, if we take a generation of children and we give them every tool they need in order to deal with their feelings in the moment instead of repressing them, they're going to grow up and they're going to be emotional baggage-less adults. And imagine what the world will be when that group gets into power <laughs> exactly so you used the word earlier either that you either used it or i read it in your bio emotional resilience right take mm. me take me through what that means so um in the past five years i have they say that the most stressful thing in your life is um to lose something to um, go through a divorce, to move, you know, they're like these lists of 10 things. In the last five years, I have moved about 18 times. Oh, God. Well, I lost my house in a fire. And so in the first three months, there were probably six moves trying to find a place to stay. Wow. Um, and actually 18, let's say 10, because that's probably Still more realistic. Um, <laughs> And then I I lost my house to fire when I was 54 years old. I lost, I was, um, our house was lost to fire when I was six, five, six years old too. Mm. So in my lifetime, I've had um, two abusive males. I've had two house fires. I've had two near drownings. And through all of it, I have learned to love humanity and, you know, do what I do. It's a great answer. So I've done, I, I, I got to connect you with Noble. Noble, his, his name is Noble Gibbons. He does a show called The EQ Gangster. This dude. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. So his, his whole show is about, is about emotional intelligence. Like, yeah, you guys will. You guys will have a great conversation about that, that as well. He's like over the top high energy. Like I can, <laughs> I, I can bring the energy. This dude brings the energy. <laughs> awesome. Well, I bring the calmness, so it's a good balance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll get you his info um, at the end. All right. So let, so let's get, let's get back to to your book. So when you wrote your first one, what, mm -hmm. what was, what was your number one motivation for writing it? Um, the first one, my friend's daughter was nine years old, a, a very sweet little girl named Isabel. <laughs> and I um, just started writing, you know, something to amuse her. And then, like I say, the story kept growing and growing. And it um, became, in the first year, it became three different books. And oh, wow. yeah. And they they're 
being drip fed, it, it's a matter of, you know, when can I afford to pay for editing and illustrations and publishing and all the different yeah. things involved. So book three should come out before Christmas. Awesome. Um, yeah. But the, the whole thing about it was I was, I realized that if, and this was a thought that came to me, it doesn't only apply to girls, but the thought was if a young girl can read my book and walk away with a sense of her own value, she will not make the same choices that I made. Mm. That's powerful. That's yeah. powerful. And, yeah. and so is this, are, are the books like, are they, they a series or the, do they go in different directions? They are a series actually. Okay. So it's following Bella Santini through a journey of self-discovery <laughs> and um, learning how to deal with emotions. And she's, because she's in the Fey world, um, a human put into the Fey world, she has to learn the way of the Fey and, and um, unlike the, the fairy tales of old, in my fairy tales, um, the Fey are emissaries of love. And so they teach love, respect, and understanding. And so Bella has to go through all of those lessons in order to shed some of that <laughs> um, judgment that we humans pick up. Um, yes. And, you know, one of the things that I say is that we don't see the world as we as it is. We see it as we are. True. And what that means is we see it through the filters we were handed by our mother, our father, our teachers, our religious leaders. Yeah, coaches. Yeah, coaches. They all saw the world through their own filters, and so we adopt some of their filters and. And they don't belong to us. They're their filters. Yes. See, and, and with the kids, too, because when I had that talk with my daughter and with my oldest son, too, because I, <clears throat> excuse me, their, their mom, like I have, I have five, five kids. I have two from, from my first marriage and I have three mm -hmm. from, my, from my second. And so with the first two, they, their mom really wasn't in their life. So they grew up with all of my masculine energy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, you know. I'd be like, how you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're good. Okay, I think you're good, right? If I ask you if you're good and you respond, <laughs> yes, I'm good, I think you're good. Like, that's that's just how I am. So, you know, years later, you know, so my daughter's telling me, she's like, you know, sometimes I need I need more from, from you. I'm like, then tell me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not a mind reader. If I ask you if you're okay, you know, <laughs> and, you, and you say yes, then I assume you're okay. You know, so, but it's one of those things that can be damaging to them, but you don't really, because in my, in my mind, I'm like, I asked you <laughs> and you answered me. Well, <laughs> so and, I moved on. And the difference um, is not necessarily a female male difference, but it's being sensitive to the energies. Yeah. Because a child may say they're fine, but they're, energy may tell you something different yeah and that's why um 
the focused attention exercise is so powerful because it really brings us to an awareness of our own feelings. And by having an awareness of our own feelings, then we can be more empathic, more understanding of the feelings around us. And that's a real gift because um, if you had been able to detect that feeling in your daughter, you would have been able to respond in a different way that maybe helped her feel more supported in that very moment. See, going back to what you were saying about filters, because like the way I deal with things, I'm not an outward stressor. So mm-hmm. like like with, like my father, like he had gotten sick in January of 2019. Nobody in my circle, nobody in my gym knew until about October, like late, oh, wow. late October. So I'm at the gym, I'm teaching classes, I'm speaking on my platforms, doing my podcast, and nobody knew this man was even sick. Then that's that, but that's just how I do it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm getting better at it now, especially now that I'm working with people with their story creation and stuff. But just in the beginning, it, it was quite the learning curve like i'm still i'm still learning and every show that that i do talking about this subject i learn more from every single guest that comes on because as you said we all have our own filters so like if someone asked me boss are you good but yeah yeah i'm fine but in that moment i am (laughs) so so i so (laughs) so i take it at face value (laughs) you know I'm, i'm a very black and white guy like i don't leave much much gray to the imagination so whatever you ask me my answer is what's going on with me and just just assume other people do that too well and that's the problem because (laughs) we can't assume anything exactly yeah (laughs) well at least i'm aware of it now (laughs) exactly and and you're making efforts to to you know it's that awareness that is huge yes when we can be aware of our responses to the world around us as long as we're not expecting others to have the same response, yes. then that is a very powerful thing. So self-awareness is one of the, what I say is one of the keys to living a magical life. Yeah, I agree. Self-awareness is everything. And like I said to you earlier, you know, I, I take notes on every guest that comes through, through here. This, yeah. is actually, this is actually my third notebook. You know, <laughs> since, since I've been doing it, it's my third notebook because everyone... You know, and, and the central theme is overcoming obstacles. So, so it's like, you know, how many different episodes can you do about overcoming obstacles? It's like, you know how many obstacles are out there to overcome? 200 and some. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? But like this stuff people go through every single day. And I've spoken to people from all across the world, from all different walks of life. And just the way people get through stuff, like everybody has a unique perspective. You know, it's like we're we're never just sitting here regurgitating the same info over and over and over. Some of the themes are are the same, but Mm -hmm. it's that it's the how to's that change with every single person. And the beauty of your show is that your audience has this smorgasbord in front of them that they can (laughs) select. This one works for me. Hey, what she said, that is really powerful and it works for me. And that is you know, I, I say when people resonate with what I'm saying, then they will, you know, migrate to me and, exactly. and become my followers. And yep. so it, it's, um, I talk about us each being a part of a diamond 
a faucet of a diamond and this faucet over here, this side is going to really speak to those people. And the side that I'm on will really speak to those people. And, you know, it, it's, it's all the truth. It's all the diamond. Yeah. But the delivery, the way it's delivered is different. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And, and that totally matters. Like even in the fitness world, you know, there, there are people like my, my style is very, is very, is what it is. You know, it's like, obviously I start people where they are, but I start people with, with the same intensity. So like, all right, you're day one, but this is what I expect. You're on month three. This is what I expect. And <clears throat> excuse me, some people need a slower approach, which is fine, which is yeah. fine. I, I'm just not, not your guy. <laughs> you know, it's like my ideal ideal clients to work with are people who are fed up. Maybe they, they were athletes when they were younger because I know how to tap into that inner athlete. You know, like, <laughs> if, like if you get someone who's been sedentary their entire lives, can I work with them? Yes, but it's a completely different strategy to crack their code. Yeah. You know? so, so it's about going after who's best suited to work with you. And I'll tell some people up front, I don't think I'm the right person for you. And it's not even like like an arrogance thing. It's like, no, it's, I it's, want you to get the best out of you. And I just don't think I'm that person for you. Yeah. You're, you're giving them the gift yes. of discernment. Yeah. Yeah. And my oldest son, he just started seeing a, a therapist because you know, he's got some, some deep feelings about his, about his mom. Mm -hmm. And it, it took years to convince him to go. Cause when he was in elementary school, he went to see a psychiatrist and, the guy was the guy didn't have the best bedside manner. We'll put put it that way. So he he just my son's very quick to just lump everyone into the same box, and so mm -hmm. it took a long time to convince him to start going again. Like and he he had a pretty a pretty rough twenty twenty two, and so he mm -hmm. he had texted me a couple of weeks ago that he he had an appointment, and I was talking to him a couple of days ago, and he's actually been to both. So it's like all right, awesome. You know, so like I wasn't <laughs> wasn't pushing it on him, but just planting the seeds you know just planting uh, the seeds like if you just you talk go. to someone he's like well how is that going to help like it can't help if you don't try it's like if you try no. and you don't like it cool but at least try yeah and what a psychologist or a psychiatrist can do is help shift the way you look at something yes and that shift in perspective is really important but there's also underlying energy and it's, I don't want to say, I, I don't like this in anything, but I think psychiatry and psychology fall down because they're only about the mind, but we are whole people. And, and so it's like, unless you deal with the underlying energy, you're still reactive. And yes. so... That's why it takes 10 years of psychotherapy to get past something. Yeah. <laughs> but you can do, you know, some of the techniques that I include in my books are really moving the energy. Because, for instance, one of them is what I call, you know, kind of a timeline therapy. So when you are emotionally triggered, and you remember, what was the first time I ever felt this way? Mm -hmm. 
So for me, with being yelled at, that's a was a huge emotional <laughs> trigger for me because, mm-hmm. and of course, the first time would have been my father. And so I can picture myself as a three or four year old with my father just looming over me, screaming and raging and telling me I'm not worth anything, that I'm shit, that I'm dust. And as a three or four year old, this person is the authority. Yes. They know what they're saying. But when I, as an adult, step into that situation, I see it from a different lens. Because what I see is an innocent little girl being screamed at by a drunk, raging father. Yes. And that's the truth of the situation. Yeah. The truth of the situation does not lie in me being worthless. It was in my father projecting onto me his self-hatred. And, yes. and so um, what I tell people is when you revisit a situation like that from an adult perspective, you can pick up the child you and you can whisper the truth in the child you's ears and that shifts the energy it's a total energy shift Mm -hmm. because instead of being the victim of this raging man i see the truth of it that he is projecting his self-hatred onto me and i don't have to take that yes yes and like as you were talking there because as I said, my dad was pretty, pretty no nonsense. And in my my younger days, especially once my ex-wife uh, walked walked out on us, and like I was managing restaurants back then, and like my, my household, it was it was like boot camp. Like I was working ten hour <laughs> days. I had to get get the That's kids. That's what you to, grew to, up with, though. <laughs> yeah, like I had to get the kids to preschool, and then I I had to get to the restaurant, and sometimes I had to leave the restaurant if, the, if one of the kids was sick, go to school, get them oh, go wow. back to the restaurant. Then I had to get home and do shopping, cook dinner, do laundry, get this, you know, get the homework done, bedtime stories. Like it was just every day was just nonstop all day yeah. long. And so, you know, looking back now, it's like, you know, you can always critique yourself. You know, there's no there's no manual for these <laughs> things. Well, back then there was. I'm sure, sure there's more now. But it's like it's just one of those things where going back to self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, so just in the moment, you think you're doing the right thing. And then as I was having that conversation with, with my daughter, some of the stuff she told me, I had long forgot about. But yeah. She, but she never did. Right. <laughs> you know. And often, you know, we parents, we enter this innocently. <laughs> we're trying to do our best yeah. and we're balancing all these different balls in the air. Yeah. And we say something and we don't really mean anything by it, but the kid takes meaning. Yes. And so what I tell parents is to give yourself grace because <laughs> we just, you know, kids, they don't come with a manual <laughs> and parenting isn't taught in schools. And we're all um, really left with trying to follow the example of our parents. And some of us outright reject that example 
um, like me, I was never going to be like my father. And that's why I rejected anger because it wasn't okay. And, um, you know, that has consequences because I didn't, I didn't choose to express anger, but anger popped out when I didn't want it to. Yeah. In there waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that energy was never dealt with. So yeah. Wow. All right. So we're coming up on time here. So give, give us some final words, let people know where they can find you, where they can get your books, all that good stuff. Okay. So really my final word is, yeah, parenting is a hard job. It's the best job ever. And you're, you know, you're not going to on your deathbed worry about how many Instagram posts you scrolled through or whether or not you did, you know, this achievement at work, you're going to think about the relationships you had. And so um, just give yourself grace and know that today is always a good day to start trying to do a little bit better. And there are tools and there are things available. Um, I say that (laughs) parents don't have time to learn emotional intelligence, but what if they can learn it by reading a fairy tale as a bedtime story to their kids? Oh my God. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. And where where can they find you? They can find me at AngelaLee.com and it's A-N-G-E-L-A-L-E-G-H.com. Oh, awesome. Angela, this was a very, very good talk. Got lots of notes over here. You, know, you schooled, schooled me on a couple of things. I appreciate that. And um, I'm sure we'll cross paths again in the future because um, I always I always invite guests back. We do we do panels. Yeah, we do panels like round table talks and stuff. And uh, Super fun. Give you a quick, quick example. Yeah. yeah, I was supposed to have one last Saturday, but I ended up getting sick. So yeah. <laughs> I had to, had to postpone it. So I think the next one's going to be December 3rd. And um, I'm gonna gonna send you an email with some connections with some of my podcast friends if you want to get on some other shows. Awesome, thank you. My pleasure. And uh, like I said, I will be in touch. Sounds great. Thank right, you thanks. so much. Take care. Bye. All right, that was Angela. If you're just tuning in, make sure you go back and watch the entire episode. This was a great one on how to face the pain that you were hiding from. Best practices to help you revisit whatever it is that happened, help you heal from it, find the teachable moments, and then share it to help other people going through similar struggles. So that's what this show is all about. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back on Thursday with Katie Chanakas making her second appearance on the show. So that's going to be a great one as well. Again, thanks for tuning in, and I will see you then. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Until next time, shut up and grind.